Discussing Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Discussing Trek. We are here to continue our Best of TOS series as we review a Season 2 episode of Star Trek, the original series, Journey to Babel. Like always, I'm your host, Clarence, and I'm joined by my fellow co-hosts slash Trekkies, starting with none other than Carrie Brown. How you doing, man? Man, I am doing wonderful. Happy to be on doing a podcast. Happy to be here. Yeah. Glad <laughs> to have you back again, sir. Oh, yeah. Also on the podcast, we have Jonathan Schwartz. How you doing, dude? I am doing well, man. I, too, am happy to be here. We This whole bi-weekly recording thing just kind of had me missing talking to you guys. So glad to be here tonight. Oh, man. Well, I would say from a editing point of view, I've enjoyed the time off, but <laughs> I, I do miss I do miss talking to you guys. Or maybe we could find some, find some other form like a uh, what's that big audio app that everybody is using these days? Um, Clubhouse or something like that. Where we can just jump on. Don't you have to be like invited to Clubhouse? I guess I'm not important enough. I didn't get invited. Nobody, yeah, well, I, I don't even know. know what that is. So there's that. <laughs> Elon likes it. That's all I need to hear. <laughs> well, that, that voice you hear right there is uh, Jeremy Barrow. Welcome back, sir. Thank you. I've missed the past couple of uh, episodes, so I'm glad to finally be able to make it back. Has this been your disdain for TOS or you just didn't want to? Uh, you had other engagements that you couldn't make it. <laughs> Actually, because we've been watching these episodes, it's made me enjoy TOS more. Ooh. Thank you very much. But also on the podcast, we have Cal Jones. How you doing, man? Good to be back as well. I missed last episode, so it's been about a month almost for me. So glad to be back. Well, you know, Kyle, you just leave us, you know, here trying to fill in your position on the synopsis of the episode. And it's been a struggle, man. It's been a struggle. So so you can never miss ever. Okay. well, maybe next time, if I know I'm going to be out, I'll send a synopsis and you can play the audio clip. But I think I have a short one, but a good one for tonight. Oh, now he's going to be pre-recording his synopsis and just sending them into the show. Okay, (laughs) I get it. Hey, you see. There you go. (laughs) Oh, boo. (laughs) So once again, so far in our Best of TOS series, we have reviewed Balance of Terror, Space Seed, The City on Edge Forever, Amok Time. The news I've seen last week and this week, Journey to Babel. And next week, if you want to watch ahead, we'll be doing the immunity syndrome. So in our last episode, Carrie asked about the updated special effects and how fans of TOS may have reacted to changes given to these remastered TOS episodes. Friend of the show, Matthew Turnage, wrote in to give his take on the aesthetic changes to the show. Matthew writes, I think they did a pretty good job with it. It's actually fairly faithful to the original. They did add things here and there that they couldn't have done in the original, like other ships that were referred to that we never saw on screen in the original or made the ships move a bit more dramatic. Still, they were very much kept to the TOS aesthetic and didn't do anything radical or change the look of the phasers or four-ton torpedoes. So I think they did a really good job. If you press me, I think I still like the originals better because it's more authentic but I'm totally fine with the CGI versions. So there you have it, Carrie, a take from a uh, TOS purist who thought they were pretty faithful to the originals. Well, good to hear. Good to hear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I was really happy to hear that. And we, I think we got some more of that updated CGI goodness in this episode as well. So I, I'm Indeed. sure we'll get into that. What we do here on this podcast is review each and every episode of Star Trek Discovery and other Star Trek properties in somewhat excessive detail 
in addition to talking all things Trek. Please leave a review and also subscribe on whatever platform you may be currently listening on to make sure you don't miss an episode. So I want to ask you guys, did you hear any Star Trek news this week? Because I have a little bit of something that happened this week that I can bring up. A couple of things. That's interesting. Uh, I just got an email today. Uh, The Voyager documentary Indiegogo campaign has surpassed $700,000. Wow. They've added (laughs) a new stretch goal of $750,000. I'm going to put my money on them reaching a million bucks for this documentary, which it's going to be awesome. This is going to be a great documentary. So that's a good thing. And it's still open for uh, donations. So need to get in there and get some of those good perks. Yeah, it warm my heart, man. Warms my heart, especially since we got that email from from uh, Jeff Hume, which I put in the chat so you guys can read it. But he said, yeah, we got him. We got him to check out Voyager and he loves it now. So that really makes me happy. <laughs> that makes me happy, man. You have to love Voyager, man. Oh, yeah. Um. Also, uh, we have... Got our best look at the new Voyager from Discovery, and that was a render done on Star Trek uh, Online, the game. Mm. And it's pretty cool, man. Other than I'm still having trouble getting over these detaching the sails, but <laughs> yeah, mm. if I may, I, I'm not a huge <laughs> fan. It does hold true to some of the lines and curves from the original uh, Voyager, but it's just too boxy to me in a way. I don't if if that makes any sense. <laughs> I I can get it. There's a lot more corners. Mm, yeah, I just I look at it as triangles. It's like a series of triangles <laughs> <laughs> put together. You're not wrong, but it's cool looking. I'm into that whole modern boxy, lot of angles type look. So I, I'm cool with it. Other than the detached nacelles, I think that kind of throws it off. Yeah, yeah. The nacelles are a bit far. And I think even uh, Kate McGrew uh, commented on Twitter saying, oh, this is really a cool, a really cool ship. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know, man. Just, just not for me, I guess. And my last little bit of news is, uh, and I've never heard of this company, but the Nacelle Company, uh, they're releasing a docuseries on the History Channel, and it's 55 Years of Trek. It's an eight-episode docuseries uh, created by the Nacelle founder, Brian Volk-Weiss. Hmm. So, I don't know. They're going to do a lot of uh, interviews and behind-the-scenes looks of a lot of the big moments in Trek. So, that'd be cool to watch. Yeah, it seems like I read that it might just be, you know, pre-production at this point. But yeah, that would be interesting whenever it does come out. I'm, you know, we're all all game for those type of documentaries. And it doesn't give an exact date. It just says that it will produce it for the History Channel. So, well, what I'm most interested in it is that they're going to talk a lot about the. Uh, so you know, we have Lucille Ball, the I Love Lucy lady, to thank for having Star Trek. Yeah. Uh, because when Gene Roddenberry was wanting to get this off the ground, they couldn't really find a production studio that would do it. And she allowed him to use her studios to produce the first of his Trek series. So they're going to talk a lot about that in more detail. So I'd love to hear about that. 
Yeah. Um, and actually, there's a good podcast I can drop in the link. Uh, I'll drop in the show notes. But they talk about how, you know, um, Desi Arnaz Studios and, you know, of course, Lucille Ball are instrumental in Trek. And I think I mentioned it before. We're lucky that they were because they were one of the few TV studios that were using film at the time. So that's the reason TOS looks so good, you know, to be so old. <laughs> um, we got kind of lucky in that aspect. So. So, yeah, I can't wait for that documentary, man. But, John, you missed the biggest news of the week. What's that? Paramount Plus, the new streaming service from <laughs> Viacom CBS today, which I think it was a couple days ago, actually, announced five new cast members have joined Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Now, I don't know any of these people. Uh, you have Babs <laughs> Alusa Makan. I'm, I'm sure I'm butchering that. Uh, Christina Chong. Uh, Celia Rose Gooding, Jess Bush, and Melissa Navia have all joined the cast of Strange New Worlds. And if you um, go to their Twitter and maybe even their YouTube channel, you can see a video of each of the cast members. Looks like an interesting cast. Um, One dude and mostly in I think the rest are women. So that's interesting. But it did make me make me ponder like. Uh, and, and again, this is their pre-production is underway or production is underway in Toronto, Canada right now. So they started, you know, shooting. But but the question that jumped to my mind, would would we see any of the character, any additional characters from the cage make the jump to the show? And I think maybe the two biggest that we haven't seen from the cage is going to be Dr. Bryce um, and, uh, you know, the the guy that that. um that, that Captain Pike had to drink with, you know, the doctor and also Yeoman, the redheaded Yeoman, Yeoman cult. Uh, we didn't see in in uh, Discovery either. So it'd be interesting if they bring either of those two characters. I think those are the two biggest from the pilot that we haven't seen so far. Um, but yeah. And also we got to think of reverse. Will we see anybody that's on TOS right now? You know, was already on the ship before Kirk got the ship. So it'd be interesting how they play that. But I'm I'm very excited about the show, man. I'm excited about the show, but in all honesty, like the new characters didn't excite me much. Hmm. And I don't want to take away from them personally. I'm sure they're great actors and they'll do a great job, and it'll prob they'll probably be memorable characters. But like I seen that story kind of go through my news feed, and I. I mean, I did. I opened it up and like I clicked each one to see what they played on. And it was nothing that I've ever seen. And I guess just me personally, I would have been more excited if they would have added an actor that I was familiar with, more familiar with. I'll say that. Yeah, I mean, it is a little disjointed because we don't we don't know what characters they're playing and we don't know the actor. So it's like a double negative kind of like, okay, right. what, what are they doing here? But, but it's one of those things where like, do you really know are there really any known actors jumping into the Star Trek universe? Like, is that a is that like odd that the, you don't know who they are? I figured that was part of the for the course. <laughs> yeah, well, I gotta I mean, agree with Carrie. It's there. true, and like and like Clarence said, if they were if we if we knew that they were cast to play a specific character we were familiar with, it would make me more interested. I'm not saying I'm against it, but as far as like. Did I see the story and be like, oh, man, we got new characters? No. Now, if they had said, hey, we got new characters and this person is going to play this person and this person is going to play this person that we know from the cage and this person that we know from TOS, then I'd have been a little more excited. Uh, but just to say, hey, there's five more people we're adding to the show. Like, OK, 
Like they could be transporter operators that we see <laughs> once every three weeks. I, and still, I, again, I'm not hating on them. I'm not taking anything away from them. I'm glad that they're adding new characters and I appreciate that. But like I've seen this come through my news feeds multiple times, multiple, yeah. multiple times. And they made such a big deal about it. And I just I hadn't been excited. So here's what I want to happen in the future. I want us to see this new series come out and I want us to remember this day and I want us to go back and listen to this when Jonathan loves all of these actors <laughs> and that they are some of the best Star Trek characters new I, that he has ever seen. I want us to come back and remember this because every character, every actor is new to us all at some point. I, I, get, yeah. I totally get your yeah. point, but I just hope that they're like amazing I do, too. I, I, again, I'm not taken away from that. I really hope they're amazing. I probably will fall in love with all of them. I'm just saying as far as piquing my interest as a credible, newsworthy story right now, it didn't. I don't know, man. Like, and it probably wouldn't me either. I'm just saying I just hope that they are, like, awesome. It's just drumming up the hype, man. That's that's They're trying to get people excited about the show. I mean, that's all it is, you know. Yeah. I hope they don't tell us who these people play because I want it to be a surprise. Like, I don't want to know the story before it comes out. Yeah. And, and quite frankly, like some of these actors have been on shows such as Black Mirror, which, you know, I have to go back and watch these episodes again. But, you know, that's the show that I watch. And also one of them is from Billions, which is a very, very uber popular show. So, yeah, it's it, people know these guys. And we just don't know. Them, so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, so, yeah, I didn't I'm, watch Black Mirror. <laughs> Uh, so I, I, I'm excited, man. I'm I'm excited for this episodic TOS style content, and just hope they can live up to 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 the to the name that they're putting out there. And also, you have to look that this is what I'm trying to count the fifth show in production right now. There's so many Star Trek shows in production. Yeah. Let's see, you have Discovery, Strange New Worlds, uh, the Janeway show. I forgot what it's called. Oh, yeah, uh, Prodigy the Nickelodeon show. Yeah, yeah, Prodigy. Yeah, the Nickelodeon Prodigy, and then you have uh, Lord Dex is in production. Hmm. Man, it's so and Picard is in production. <laughs> so it's so much Star Trek. Man, can you believe it? In twenty twenty one, there are five, maybe even six, if you count the Section thirty one show that are in production right now. This is crazy, crazy. That's awesome. And the movie, right? Yeah, maybe some pre-production stuff going on on a movie. I don't know if it's been greenlit, but but yeah, man, so much stuff going on right now, which is, it brings me back to the mecha days of the 90s. <laughs> hey, I do have a bit of news that will disappoint you. Not super Uh-oh. disappointing. Uh, and I don't I don't have it in front of me where this was, but there was an interview done. It was a, actually like a podcast video cast with uh, Call Mini, uh, Chief O'Brien. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're asking him whether or not if he got the call, would he want to return? And he said no. Oh, makes me sad. <laughs> yeah, he he's not interested in re- resuming his role as Chief O'Brien, which is terrible. After they built a monument on him on <laughs> Lower Decks. <laughs> Lower Decks, yeah. Oh, now you want to bring up Lower Decks. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that was the best thing they did. I'm sorry. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you got to think about it, man. He did several... I- I don't know if he's reoccurring cast. I know at one point he probably was reoccurring cast on TNG, but not to start. Uh, but no. then, you know, he was on all of Deep Space Nine. So, yeah, I mean, as far as people that's been in a lot of Trek, he's one of them. 
I mean, he's him and Michael Darn are de- have definitely paid their dues as far as oh, how yeah. long they've been on Star Trek. So, so yeah, I would love to see him at least just show his face, but I can understand if he doesn't want to come back. Breaks my heart. All right. Well, with that said, we'll go ahead and jump into our review of Star Trek TOS, the original series, Journey to Babel. Journey to Babel is the 10th episode of the second season of Star Trek. It was written by the famous DC Fontana and directed by Joseph Pevney. It was first broadcast in November the 17th, 1967. The episode features the first appearance of Sarek or Sarek. I don't I hear it pronounced both ways. Sarek, um, of the great Mark Leonard and Leonard, excuse me, and Amanda Grayson portrayed by Jane Wyatt. And also introduces two new species, um, in addition to a few more that are kind of throwaway species. But we have the Andorians and the Telerites making an appearance in this episode as well. The Enterprise hosts a number of quarreling diplomats, including Spock's father. But someone on board has murder in mind. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. What gives you the right? You cannot destroy an undemon. At ease before you spray something. And as always, we'll go to Cal Jones for the beats, sometimes serious, sometimes comedic beats of the episode. Cal Jones, what do you have for us this week? I can sum it up in one sentence. Are you ready? Let's have it, sir. Family counseling is the only logical outcome when you have pigs in space. <laughs> you know, so many people are not going to get the <laughs> Muppets pigs in space reference. I barely get it. I do. <laughs> hey, um, the Muppets are on Disney Plus now, so go out and watch the Muppet Show and see pigs in space. Also on Star Trek. We'll we'll do, but I think the Tellerites will have a qualm with your little, um, you know, little pigs in space reference there. Tellerites in space. <laughs> you know, so, quick point on that. They kind of change the look of Tellerites when you get to Enterprise, which is previous to TOS would uh, eat cake. Yeah, people people don't complain about that, but they, especially when we get to Discovery, they look totally different. Uh, yeah. They look more like a warthog in Discovery than a pig. I guess that's the same, right? In uh, space. Pigs in space, yeah. yeah. But they do. They did change their look over time. As well as, I mean, so many things in TOS have actually changed their look over time, but some stuff people don't complain about. You know, I figured... You know, over time, like you say, they change it. But Enterprise technically was before TOS. Yeah. Yep. You know, so I and I, I don't see a species like evolving to look more like an animal. <laughs> We're going to have this conversation every time a race looks different. Like, I feel like every. <laughs> well, you have these canon peers, so you have to bring it up. Um, you know, that's the whole reason some people hate Discovery because of the Klingons, but you know. Oh, poor people. I feel bad. For <laughs> I didn't have a problem with the Klingons. I'm just like, I'm fresh off of watching the Enterprise series and it's a total <laughs> difference. Yeah, they are they're basically pig people in this, to be honest. So yeah. Like on Enterprise, they look like normal people. Maybe their nose is a little bigger and flatter and their face they have a lot of facial hair, but I mean, I could pass that as being a humanoid species. This just looked like you stuck lipstick on a pig. Well, maybe they, maybe they got exposed to like some gamma rays or something. And it <laughs> <laughs> I 
Uh, well, you know this 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 is Mark in costumes. Uh, what what am I? I got out here. We can we can we need a new alien, right? Let's just take these pig masks and cut the eyes out, and there you go. We got it. Hey, now if you told the Tellerites they were going to appear on Black Mirror, it'd have been a problem. <laughs> oh, stop it! <laughs> Don't watch that episode. Don't watch the first episode of Black Mirror. That's the Some episode that late. caused me not to watch the rest of the series. <laughs> Some people will get that. <laughs> With that said, let's go around the horn and get everybody's 30,000 foot view of this episode. And Carrie, let's start with you, man. What do you think? I, if I had to pick two words, I would say oddly enduring. Endearing, I guess is the word I'm looking for. I wasn't expecting to have for this to have heartwarming moments because like I had forgotten about Sarek being Spock's father. So like it was kind of a shock to me when he's like, this is my dad and mom. Because I'd, I'd just forgotten because I'm a Star Trek noob. But um, throughout the episode, that, that that's probably the thing I like the most is the fact that they're, him and his dad are nothing alike, but they're exactly alike at the same time. Yeah. So I really yeah. enjoy that. Yeah, they really do manage to tell like a timeless story. And, and you know, with this, this mixed race um, alien that, yeah, they managed to tell a great story with that. Uh, Jeremy, what do you think, man? I enjoyed it. Um, the more I watch of these episodes, the more I'm actually enjoying the series. And this is one of those episodes that I would probably show to people to introduce them to Star Trek. Oh, wow. That's interesting hmm. to hear. High praise. Is that from a establishing canon point of view or just like a timeless story point of view that anybody can understand? Just, just like a good timeless story. Just a good episode point of view. Interesting. Interesting. Kyle Jones, what do you think, man? So I know Kerry misspoke, but I'm going to actually steal his misspeaking from a few minutes ago because I'm going to call it oddly endure, or yeah, oddly enduring, and I mean that in the sense of it was so cool being introduced to Spock's parents in Discovery and seeing them in in reverse order as the older versions of them as opposed to someone who has seen it first with this and the other way. So I thought it was cool that we're still seeing last year these characters, or the year before, whenever they were last on, we're still seeing these characters 50 years later, played by obviously other actors. But I just think that is so enduring about Star Trek. You still have these characters from the 60s being represented, you know, 50, close to 60 years later. That's cool. Well, Kyle, we're going to come right back to that because I want to hear more about the transition from Discovery to here. Um, and also we can talk about, you know, Cyric and, and TNG as well. But but Jonathan, like, what are your thoughts on the, on this episode, man? I have to take and I appreciate like I really like having Carrie on to speak about it because, you know, when you watch Trick so much and you kind of you're exposed to the Sarek Spock story like you, that's kind of lost on you. So the empathetic part of this episode, like, I mean, I, I realized it, but I, it wasn't a big impact because I kind of know the story already. But to look at it from the outside in, like it really is a big deal. And the writers do such a great job of expressing that in this episode and all other episodes when the conversation is about Sarek and Spock's relationship. And it kind of goes through different series and they keep it consistent. 
Like that doesn't change. And even the biggest thing that pointed out to me was just like the look, even though it's different actors, the moment I seen Sarek step off of the ship and Amanda, like I knew, like you can recognize them as his parents. And that happened in Discovery. That happens in TNG. That happened. I think you see Sarek in Enterprise. Like you can recognize them and it's a different character, but they make a great, they do a great job of making them easily recognizable. So to mm-hmm. me that, I mean, that, that part alone was worth watching the show just because they're that seeing that part of the story in its original form. Mm. And like Jeremy said, it's also a great, a great episode to, you know, somebody that's never like myself that never really got into TOS. Like this would be a great episode to say, Hey, this is a great series. You should watch it. Like I'd watch it. I'd be like, man, I got to watch the rest of this. Interesting. I, I totally agree that this is a sh- kind of a showpiece episode. And one reason that we haven't talked about is that there's really only one bad special effect in the entire episode. And like, it's when that guy gets stunned, like, like other than that, like all that's all, there's no like weird, like, um, dated special effects in it. So, I mean, it, it definitely, you know, you were talking about the film earlier. It looks great. Yeah. Perfect showpiece episode. So let's talk a little bit about Mark Lennard and this, as Sarek in this episode. Uh, if you didn't know, fun fact, Mark Leonard also played the Romulan commander in Balance of Terror. And he continued playing Sarek through the movies all the way up until we see him in TNG. Same actor uh, plays wow. Sarek in TNG. Yeah. So that's pretty freaking awesome. Oh, that is cool. Well, that's why but, he was so easily recognizable. Yeah. Yeah. A true, what, 20 years apart. Yeah. But I want to ask uh, Kyle on um the transition from discovery to here and 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 seeing Sarek in discovery uh portrayed by James Frain until here um just uh what are your thoughts cuz you mentioned it before just thoughts on the different look and then maybe we can go into some of the story transition of how discovery retroactively kind of filled in some of the gaps there so the look honestly i didn't pay that much attention to, except I felt that Sarek was colder in this than he was in Discovery. I felt more emotion, and I know that's weird talking about a Vulcan, but I felt more emotion from the portrayal in Discovery rather than the portrayal here. As far as I'm looking at him aging I mean, I bought it. I, I bought yeah. more the look of Amanda actually than yeah. than I did for Sarek. The, I mean, it for Amanda for me, it in my mind is totally logical that this is an older version of the actress who played Amanda. So the casting for mm-hmm. Discovery of Amanda was brilliant from that aspect, and she did the part amazing. You know, it wasn't just a look. She she won me over. That's my introduction to Amanda is discovery. So kudos on both sides there. Yeah, I, I would hope that we would see. Um, I forget the actor who played Amanda Grayson in, in Discovery, but see her and James Rain both come back um, for Strange New Worlds will be awesome. Um, so, John, I want to go to you for a bit of the story transition from what we see in Discovery. And I don't know how much you remember. This is all the way back in season one. when We got most of this. Um, 
exposition. Well, we actually saw it of why um, why Michael Burnham didn't get into the Vulcan expedition group uh, because there was one slot and it, the choice was was between Burnham and Spock. And uh, Sarek held that position for Spock. But we find that Spock, you know, Spock was younger. Spock didn't even go to the Vulcan Learning Learning Center. He like skipped it and went to Starfleet. (laughs) So, hey, do do you mind if I say something really, really quick? Because I'm afraid I'm going to forget it if you don't mind. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. The the cool thing about watching Amanda and Sarek in this episode for me was knowing what I know from Discovery gave it to me a different point of view and a different level of understanding than if I would have just watched it straight through in the 60s. So I thought that was another cool aspect. Sorry for interrupting. No, well, goes, I just knew I'd forget it. Well, that goes right into what I was saying. Like it 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 gives it a bit more flavor instead of it just being a a line in this episode. They say, oh, start uh, Spock didn't even go to the Vulcan Learning Center. He went to Starfleet. You know, we see that that is part of the reason why he's mad. Well, mad is emotion. Why he's disgruntled with <laughs> with Spock <laughs> is that he chose a different path. But we kind of get got to see that play out with Michael Burnham in, in um, I think it was like the fifth or sixth episode of Discovery to where uh, she she gets pushed over to Starfleet because he's saving that position for Spock. Which I just found all that real, really interesting. Um, John, did you have any thoughts on that transition or anything you can add in? Uh, I mean, not really. That I don't know. I mean, it, it didn't really stick out much to me. Uh, I just kind of looked at it. So when we heard that part in this episode, you know, I kind of felt like, oh, okay, so that's why Michael didn't do it. But I kind of understand as well. You know, at least Spock is half Vulcan. Like, I feel like Sarek probably felt, well, I know he didn't feel, but Sarek thought it was logical that at least part Vulcan would do better in the Science Academy than uh, non-Vulcan at all. Yeah. Yeah. And and we, I know I keep talking about Discovery, but we're going to we're gonna get dive deep into this episode. Just one real quick question before we transition. And I want to throw this to Jeremy real quick. Didn't it kind of feel like from Discovery Season 2 that maybe they're... Uh, relationship what wasn't as tumultuous as it appears now in this episode because it kind of felt like uh, Spock and Sarek had talked it out a bit, but I, I may be remembering incorrectly. Yeah, it seems like there's a bigger rift that we're not getting than what we were left with in Discovery. Yeah, because I'm like you, I was under the impression that they had you know got along better, but here they're just like, yes, yes, father. Yes, father. Yeah. Yes, son. You know, very formal and more Vulcanish. So was I, and I'm not remembering. Maybe I'm not remembering correctly. How how long had Spock been in Starfleet in Discovery? Probably been in the Academy and Starfleet proper for a while at that point. Um, we do get that short trick that shows his first day, but I have no idea when that occurred. Uh, and remember, the events of the cage had to happen before we saw him in Discovery as well. So who knows? <laughs> Interesting. So, so Carrie, uh, I'm going to throw to you for a bit of this. I guess Jeremy called it a, 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 a kind of timeless message here. Um, and to me, it felt like father, son, son doesn't want to be a shoemaker. <laughs> he does something else, you know, 
that type of relationship? Is that what it felt like to you? Well, I mean, if you think about it in human terms, to to paraphrase Star Trek here, if you think about it in human terms, it seems like they're at odds. But when you realize that they're both, you know, especially Spock is definitely, you know, uh, I guess, accepted his Vulcan side as his primary side. I feel like it shows that they just have the utmost respect for one another by the way they act. There's no, I don't think there's any malice. I don't think there's a rift there. I just think that that's, you know, for, for Sarek to be upset for, with Spock going to Starfleet at this point would, that would be like, that wouldn't be, to me, that wouldn't be a Vulcan thing to do. I just feel like, and you, and you get this when he talked to his wife later when he's like, you embarrass Spock, you know? Yeah, he, he he really respects his son, and I feel like he's proud of his son, and he's showing that in his own way. I don't I don't think at all that he was antagonistic towards him in the entire episode. Oh, I, I uh, felt like at first he was a little salty. Yeah, because remember so, uh, the Vulcan salute at the very beginning? Yeah, like he doesn't return it. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> give me another uh, tour guide. <laughs> maybe, but I also felt that as him, as him not, you know wanting to give his son special treatment like that's how i took it oh okay that's me not being not being a star trek aficionado i i took it as him not wanting to you know there's probably not a word but i i saw it as him not wanting to nepotize his son or call his son out you know that's what i took it as but maybe he was salty Mm -hmm. i don't know so to me it stood out more because he didn't like he he gave mccoy the salute and not like I get it, not wanting to treat him like you want to be indifferent towards your son or like not show preferential treatment. But I think doing that would mean you have to treat him the exact same way you would treat anybody else on the crew. And he is the first officer on Enterprise. So I would assume he would be after the captain. He would be the next person to have, be greeted. It did seem like he wasn't really acknowledging his son at the beginning. But again, like I said, as the episode wore on, I, you know, initially I thought the same thing. But just from the from his like sidebars that he was having with his wife, I, I yeah. felt like that he was just trying to do in his own way. He was trying to show his son respect. But, you know, like I said, I'm, I could be completely wrong there. So see, I took it more so in the sense of w- wanting to find out what had gone on between father and son. Because I felt like there was some water under the bridge that I wanted to know more about. Yeah, I mean, I think he was a little salty at first, which is weird for a Vulcan to throw shade. <laughs> yeah, that was the thing that stood out to me was that, like, they, they spent the whole episode talking about being not logical. So it just felt a little out of character for him to be salty, you know, after 18 years of his son, like, not taking his invitation. to, to the, It just seems like that would not be something a Vulcan would do, especially not a hardened Vulcan. Yeah. You also, I mean, Sarek throughout Trick, the times you see him, he's been known to show a little more emotion than most Vulcan. I mean, short of Burnham, you can't really call her Vulcan. But I, I mean, mean he didn't marry a human, so he's. Yeah. You know. <laughs> and he that did. That sounds exchange. horrible to say, but I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> and he did exchange cultures with a human as well, you know, Michael yeah. Burnham, which True. we retroactively know. So <laughs> I'm going to tell you where the. <laughs> Where the real salty part was thrown when uh Kirk asked uh Spot to <laughs> to come tell tell Eric how the computer works. That I was terrible. This fool how to use computers? <laughs> <laughs> I raised them. <laughs> then it went off the Starfleet. And like you could tell, Kirk was just trying to be. Oh, I'm Kirk not like, gonna what's say, going on here? 
<laughs> I also took it as him kind of rebuffing Kirk for trying to like play mediator, but um, yeah. And, and, and help me out here. Why would the captain of the ship not know that his first officer is the child of a Vulcan ambassador? Like eh, that was probably should have been on a resume. I don't know. Yeah, that didn't make sense. Uh, or a dramatic uh, effect. You know, Spock is a private person. I mean, that's probably something <laughs> he just didn't include. Yeah, yeah. And and at that point, it's kind of iterated in this episode, even when we get to the point where we're talking about this condition that Sarek has. And, oh, it's private. It's, you know, everything in Vulcan society is, like, super private. And, you know, this relationship also paints a little light on a mock time where, you know, the mother and father or nowhere to be found, it could play into why we didn't see him or, you know, retroactively play into why we didn't see him there, you know? All right. But, but, you know, journey to Babel, we're here for this conference to a neutral planet code named Babel. And it's supposed to be a reception with, I guess on the ship, there's 114 delegates, 32 ambassadors, which is, which is interesting. It's interesting. And of course we kind of went into it already with Sarek's arrival and we get to the point where they're in the oh i know what i want to mention real quick first the shuttle bay scene it's like why is it seems like discovery is the only ship that doesn't have not discovery but but uh voyager is the only ship that doesn't have a big shuttle bay it's like every other ship that i've seen has like the huge shuttle bay but for some reason voyagers you either never see it or it's just small when you do see it is the the that jump out to you guys at all or am it, it I wasn't crazy needed in voyager well, they weren't going. They, they didn't know anybody out there. They weren't going to be shuttle baying anyone. <laughs> shuttle bay, and they were, and they were intrepid class. Like they were just meant to go oh. short distances fast. So, like away missions weren't really going to be a big deal. Okay, good. But good you point. also notice uh, start on Enterprise. Uh, they they had a smaller cargo bay. Yeah, that's true. But that was a different class ship entirely. Yeah. Okay, so this is a dumb question. I'm I'm gonna acknowledge that. But is there any reason why they didn't just like they went to the planet? Is there any reason why they didn't just beam them on board? Uh, well, I think they met. Yeah, they went to Vulcan, didn't they? Yeah. Well, it was a yeah. Why did they send their shuttle down to get them? I don't know. <laughs> Good point. You gotta have that that um that ceremony. Carry I mean, they still could have done that in the <laughs> transporter room. Like, <laughs> well, oh, well, that brings me to another one of our questions. These dress uniforms. Um, oh God, don't it, even. And and Bones mentions them being like tight. And, is it is is it just a thing to wear on every Star Trek that complain about the dress uniforms? Because I know they did it in in DS Nine a lot. But John or Jeremy, anybody, do you recall them complaining about the dress uniforms a lot in Star Trek? <laughs> uh. Yeah, I mean, he, it's always been a um, actually, yeah. So, I mean, you hear it on TNG, I think, uh, not LaForge. I think it was Commander Worf complained about being in dress uniform. And I think it may have been actually when they were meeting Spock. I'm not sure. Uh, but Worf always complained about being in dress uniform. That's when they had like the long nightgown uniforms. <laughs> oh, boy. Cal, I want to ask you about Amanda's talk to Spock. Uh, well, actually, she's talking to Kirk about Spock, where she's kind of reflecting on his different traits of him being human Vulcan. Uh, any any thoughts on that? Because for me, I don't know why it is, but it seems like my favorite characters always end up being characters or mixed species or fish out of water type characters. And 
And Spock is kind of the epitome of that. And we hear Amanda kind of uh, addressing that and how he doesn't really fit in anywhere. So does it in in itself humanize Spock? Because I'm trying to put myself in the view of the person watching it back in the 60s. And help me out here. Had they addressed his multispatial background or had he just been referred to as a Vulcan back then? Oh, they had they address it all the time from oh, the first okay. episode I've seen. They they, they talk you. about it. Yeah, I so, I think maybe this was the first time maybe then that it kind of and I'm going to use the word as a cliche, but it's perfect for here. Humanized it a little bit because you've got his mother and what better way to humanize a character than by showing the character's mother. Yeah, I mean, mother and just parents in general, like, in a lot of ways, you don't really know a person until you know their parents. <laughs> You're like, oh, light bulb, that's why they're, you know, like this. Sarek is his dad. Oh, that's why he's like this. And um, just to fast forward a little bit, I loved how it even, even informs his um hard stance on the impossible decision we get at the end of the near the end of the episode um to relinquish his command or help his father he's he thinks he's doing what his father would say do and he doesn't want to stray away from that so yeah i mean i think it's cool when you see how the parents um influence the characters we see i mean we get to see who who else do we see john we see war's parents um that might be it. <laughs> yeah, you see quite a few. Julian Bashir's parents. Tom Paris' dad. Yeah. Uh, Bellana's parents, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think, well, yeah you have to meet you through flashbacks and okay. such. The EMH's creator. I think Worf's parents did the best job at that. That's the whole storyline. Oh, man. They were a handful. <laughs> and you see Deanna's mom, of course. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> So let's let's get a little bit into this conference. Uh, the whole reason we're here, um, we find, <laughs> we find that the Vulcans and the Tellarites are at odds over this Cordon planet or Cordon system entering the Federation. Um, first off, we talked about the Tellarites a little bit earlier, but thoughts on Ambassador Gav? Uh, we I guess we talked about the look already, so we could skip that. But we also see the Andorians, um, which it seems like their makeup was basic at best, but it just thoughts on the look of the Dorians. Anybody can take that. <laughs> the, 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 antenna that broke. <laughs> <laughs> that was the, bad. The, that the was the of Star Trek. <laughs> oh, <good. laughs> yeah, that was pretty bad. But, you know, that particular Andorian wasn't a Andorian after all, we learned. Uh, but it did remind me of Ren in Discovery because he gets his antennas taken off by Osira. So that that reminded me of that for some reason. Since we've been talking about different looks, do Andorians look any different? Or do they appear in other Star Trek series and do they look any different than these? And if so, how so? Not really. Uh, you, I think you can just tell makeup has gotten better over the years uh so the latest version well i guess you'd say ren will be the latest version but uh i ren? think on oh yeah on discovery 
Yeah. Wasn't that his name, Ren? Anyway. Yeah, Ren. And But on Enterprise is a lot of Andorian. You see a lot of Andorian on Enterprise. And they basically, it's basically the same look. I think it's just a deeper shade of blue makeup. Yeah. But the antenna and all that is still the exact same. Except Enterprise, of course, is better graphics. So they could add like like movement to them so you can see their antenna move when they're like excited or scared or something like that. And incidentally, uh, you get to see antenna cut off in Enterprise too. <laughs> so, it's a reoccurring thing. Yeah. And what I what you learn in Enterprise, if Andorian loses their antenna, it's a sign of shame, number one, and number two, they lose their balance. <laughs> like they can't walk <laughs> they have to get used to doing it. So, yeah, that's a big deal. Well, think about it. That would be because it did make me think of one thing watching it. That's their ears, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think their ears are covered by the hair. Wait, no. You see their ears, too, No, right? they have ears. Oh, do you? Yeah, they have ears. Huh. Oh. Well, it's a sensory input, though, at bed, you know, still. So I can I can see why that would throw them off. Also, what you, what you learn from Enterprise is the Andorians, which also has can give you a little insight on why Spock thought that this particular Andorian's mind had been trained to block lie detectors and interrogation. But Andorians are on Andoria. There's actually two species of Andorians and one that was kind of predates the Andorians we see. And that species of Andorians were highly telepathic and it was through the use of their antenna, but they were blind because they were subterranean species. Interesting. Interesting. So um, uh, funny that you would mention Enterprise, but I, I also want to bring up something else that I think came up on Enterprise. So McCoy, man, McCoy is always prying <laughs> the Spock's business, man. And he just asks at Amanda, you know, uh, about Spock's childhood. And she mentioned Spock had a teddy bear. <laughs> Not so teddy bearish, a, a sullet, a sailet. Now, uh, again, I think it made an appearance on Enterprise. And I think it also made an appearance on TAS. Uh, the animated series. But John, do you recall seeing a sell it in um, Enterprise at all? Was that the thing that was chasing them through the uh, <laughs> desert? <laughs> yeah. It's basically like a thing. big beast looking thing. <laughs> Think of dinosaur and, and like a mammoth, woolly mammoth mixed together. <laughs> oh, oh man. man. I just want to say Bones was my favorite part of this entire episode. Like, he was just, he was staring. He was trying to stir up whatever he could. Like it was, it was awesome. I love murderers. It. <laughs> Bo was trying to get all the goods on Spock, man, and and you know we can talk about that insane. Like Bones just doesn't let up. He's, he breaks the fourth wall at the end of the episode. He like looks directly at us when he makes that last comment. Yeah, it was great. It was great, dude. He had me smiling that whole episode. Oh yeah, I swear. Every, Every time I laughed out loud is because of comment or something that he that he made. He's just so expressive and awesome, man. <laughs> oh, missing <a> house. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. He's the greatest. But we do get this scene where the Telerite ambassador Gav uh, Gav confronts Sarek. Um <laughs> Sarek is just like gives a very that's what I love about Vulcans, man. He doesn't get mad. He just gives like a very logical explanation, you know. You guys are like stealing, stealing the lithium or illegally, you know, harvesting the lithium from this planet. That's why you don't want them to be in the Federation. But, you know, <laughs> very logical, thought out comment. Oh, man. 
it just it just reminds me of like like I don't know if you have like a like anybody who's had or ever had like a significant other that little the pig person he just was kept poking at him he's like he just turned around he's like <laughs> okay we do we doing this we arguing okay let's let's do it that like that's what they reminded me of he's just like all right you want to argue let's go let's go let's go <laughs> oh man and then we go into t- one of two cuts that really had me floored in this episode Kyle, we cut directly to the uh, ambassador guy hanging upside down with the Jeffrey <laughs> with his neck down. <laughs> What? <laughs> oh, that quote where he's like, he. What did he say? He was like, um, there will be payment uh, for your slander, Zarek. Threats are threats are illogical, and they're usually very. And payment is very expensive. Or something <laughs> they, he said. They set us up on that one. <laughs> yeah. See, I so thought that this was about to be. He was going to be set up for the for a wrongful murder that he didn't commit, and then they just kind of dropped it, didn't they? Well. They didn't drop it so much in that it was pretty impossible for Sarek to do it. And then we find out about the crazy person. Oh, that's true, too. Yeah. Yeah. They kind of went kind of fast into those next three beats. What say you, Sarek? <laughs> How will you vote on the council? <laughs> we, yeah, we find out that Sarek is like really sick, which, you know, this this again reminded me of TNG because he was like extra sick on that and causing trouble because he was sick, you know? Yeah. And, and very similar, people winding up dead with them. So maybe they use this episode as a springboard for writing a TNG episode. But but yeah, he he we found out he's been sick this whole time. And what I really loved is, and maybe somebody get some comments on this. They go to Spock about the investigation, and Spock, even though that's his dad, he's displaying ultimate vocal logic is like interesting oh, oh that looks like a vulcan method of execution a tall shot <laughs> you're like dude that's your dude, like that's your dad man you're not gonna <sighs> i loved it i loved it analytical to a fault i loved it it was the greatest yeah but we find that sarek has a, a heart condition and um it, again like it made me think about the, the condition he had in TNG, which in TNG, John, help me out. That was more of an Alzheimer's type thing. He was forgetting. And so his uh, his mind had got to the point where logic was no longer he, he couldn't think of things logically like he was just his mind was becoming illogical. Uh, emotion was starting to take over and he had to have so certain moments where he could repress his emotions and be normal but that was getting harder and harder and i guess you could say it's just it's something like alzheimer's and you know they say as you get older you just it's kind of in a way you're reverting to what you were as a child and evoking as a child had a harder time suppressing emotions yeah that makes sense interesting enough they never mentioned anything about heart condition past this so did he get healed or something maybe medical technology got better Cause it's always funny how Bones never knows anything about a species, but then he operates to save their life. That's that's like a trope that continues in Trek, like with every doctor. I've never seen him before. Let me save their life. But yeah, he's just that good, man. He's just that good. Some doctors have all the look, or something like that. Kirk said. <laughs> but 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 uh, Jeremy, man, I gotta go to you with this, man. What about that? The second jar jar dropping scene cut. And we see Kirk going toe-to-toe with his Andorian. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> that was, on that, man. 
Dude, these uh, the fight scenes continue to be uh, like popcorn. Like they're I love terrible. The fight, man. It was oh so my good. god! Like he he runs up the wall like he's gonna like do a backflip or something. He just falls on the dude. He like, butt drops like, him. <laughs> dude, that fight was so good, man. Dude, that fight was so It was not good. <laughs> I enjoyed yeah, was... it, man. I loved it. I loved it, dude. He ran and... up the wall and did just like flopped on him. It was hilarious. <laughs> He was stabbed on his right side, and the rest of the show he walked around holding his left side. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> well, I was sitting here thinking whenever I was watching it, so I'm wondering if it's in his contract that every so many episodes he gets to take his shirt off. I mean, there was no reason for him to be without his shirt. Man, he got stabbed in the lung. I have my shirt off too. Well, yeah, I thought but, it was a kidney. He was his lung? Yeah, but no, no, no. I'm talking about before that, whenever he got the phone call. Or not course, the phone call. Man. The he was chilling. Oh, that was some fan. That was the the fangirl service right there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. That, that fight was fantastic, dude. I oh, love that fight. Why I mean, was it fantastic? Maybe like I watched it, it like awful. five times. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, like I'm sorry. Like growing up in growing up in like the Jackie Chan era, like I can, I just can't watch fun, fights like that. Like they're just so they're so bad. Like, true, true enough, it's more akin of a fight dong, you would see in a Western, dong, though. Dong, dong, That's the type of fight you see in a Western movie or television show. I, I don't know. I enjoyed it, man. It was, it was. I enjoyed this more than I enjoyed the other fights, to be honest. This is like my favorite I've seen so far. Really? <laughs> in, you mean just in TOS or period? In, in TOS. In TOS. Flying <laughs> wall butt drop of Kirk's signature <laughs> move. That that's what killed it for me right there. Like it was it was okay or not even okay. It was passable, I'll say, until that. And then I was like, oh no, I'm the done. Butt drop is awesome. And it's the only time you ever hear me say those words. But uh, <laughs> from the window. But, <laughs> but 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 really, I, I want to get into this, and I'm uh, I want to get into this, and anybody can take this this impossible decision. Kirk is out. You know, stabbing along, and you have Spock with this impossible decision to. And I mean, TOS does such a great job of always putting us in these (laughs) impossible positions help his father, save his father, or save all these delegates on the ship and and tend to the ship. Impossible decision. Any, any, any thoughts on that? And Spock using his unwavering logic. To say this is what my father would do because it's the logical thing. But is you know? this is going to sound so cold? But was it really impossible choice? I think it was. I don't know. I mean, you have you have Scotty who can helm the ship, but you know, I mean, I think Spock thought he was the best person for that job at that time. I just think logic, logic, logically speaking, Spock was like, "I'm gonna like a complete dummy if I save my dad and we all blow up." <laughs> <laughs> But I don't know. Like I, I, the the other thing that I could couldn't help but thinking was like, and it was it was my my line of thinking and Spock's line of thinking was justified at the end of the episode. By the way, but he was just thinking like, what would my father want me to do? I mean, that's what we would all ask ourselves in that situation. And his father would have done exactly what he did. Yeah. So from that aspect, I I don't think it was really an impossible decision at all. Yeah, I agree with Carrie. And, and But I'll take it in a slightly different route. Yes, I, I agree with the father route, but I also look at it from the perspective of he's looking at, again, you know, I'm going to look, not necessarily I'm going to look like an idiot if I choose my 
parents over my duty, but he's looking at the larger ramifications of if all of these delegates are assassinated and what that impact could have on millions of lives as opposed yeah. to the need. So it's, the, it's that classic trope. The need of, to defend it, yeah. Know, with the needs of the few. Yep, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was it was definitely logic or emotion. And they even, you know, scratched at us even more by putting Amanda in for a good reason <laughs> on, on the other That's side sad. of that argument. I hate you. You know, oh, oh my god, that slap was awesome. That was the best fight. That was the best fight in the whole whole episode, right there. When she smacked the mess out of him. Yeah, that now that was a fight scene. Yeah, (laughs) five fingers in the face. Slap. (laughs) Oh yeah, she 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 yeah. (laughs) Oh my goodness, I was like, "Is my money?" Ain't gonna lie, I was like, "Damn." Could not believe it, dude. It's like I know there's some <laughs> iconic slaps in Star Trek, but that had to be up there. <laughs> the slap around the world. I think that's the best one I've seen. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, like was, I, I really believe they like told her, look, she's gonna actually slap you in this scene, so prepare. Like that didn't seem like a staged slap. <laughs> Like I mean, that, especially I especially considering the f- choreography that we had just previously witnessed right. the fight choreography, like <laughs> that but, was definitely not fake. But see, see, I think you guys and myself included were emotionally invested in these characters, the mother and the son, there, as opposed to you had you know Kirk fighting some random alien. Basically, I don't think it there was, was you know I there was no. Was no, no, there was no investing in that. No, that was just a bad fight. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, I, I feel like I'm more emotionally invested in Kirk than Spock's mother. But it's just the choreography, like the fight itself. Like speaking s- s- strictly from a plot development or as a plot device, I feel like the fight itself was good. It had its place. My only problem with the fight was just the co- choreography was just awful. Like, well, you know, but but. Let's get into some of so so we have this other enemy, this enemy outside the ship who is unknown, and I gotta throw this to Jeremy because he's our Voyager guy. Uh, warp ten question mark Are the warp factors different in the TOS era? Yeah, I, I heard that, and I was like, "There's no salamander people here. Why? Why were you doing warp ten? <laughs> yeah, I just think that was a intentional oversight on Voyager. Yeah. So part. warp ten, like. Too high or something like I don't. So there's context. a Voyager episode called what's the name of the episode, guys? I can't remember. <sighs> but but basically, Paris and Janeway turned into salamanders because they go to warp ten and they see all the time and space and everything, and they evolve. Like literally, <laughs> like salamanders, like the lizard. Or yeah. Like yeah. Yes. It's probably the most hated episode of uh, Voyager. <laughs> it's yeah. It's one. Of the, it's one of the most hated, but it's actually one of my favorites. <laughs> really. <laughs> Yeah, but but I have read things where they say the warp factors were at a different scale in the in the TOS era. I have read that somewhere, so I need to go back and review that. But I think that's kind of the thing here, Um, because I think in TOS the warp factors are all over the place. Possibly, because throughout after TOS everything, I mean, it's known that warp ten, like that's the warp barrier. Voyager does nine point nine nine five nine point nine five. And that's the best they can get. Past that, I think the molecule, your molecules start accelerating. Like the movement of your molecules starts accelerating, which 
in Voyager's case, in the hated episode, meant you rapidly evolve or devolve right. <laughs> one way or another. But I mean, or you maybe, have seen it. You had that little alien on TNG that he and Wesley Crusher like accelerated the Enterprise. Like, yeah, true. Way past that. I don't remember what warp they went to. It was like something crazy. But I thought at that point it wasn't warp. It was something else. It was. I'm not sure. I have to go back and watch. I remember the uh, con officer actually saying, because he asked him, You're right. How fast? Right. And he said, It's off the charts. <laughs> it's so over 9,000. So maybe back then <laughs> in the TOS era, they could go faster, but then by the time it got to the TNG Voyager area, they had had the freeze, maybe. And that did something to warps. Because if the other one could have the burn, that could be something we hadn't found out called the freeze. <laughs> the freeze. <laughs> Write that book, man. Write that book. Um, hey, strange new world. We may see it. And I said it here. So we're going to move along, guys. We're about to wrap this up. But what I couldn't understand. Okay. We, we talked about the seemingly impossible decision for Spock to help his father or lead the ship. But... Kirk and McCoy uh, have a little rules of their own where Kirk pretty much pretends he's okay, which by no means he should have been back on the bridge. But Bones go along, goes along with it. We just had an episode in the Doomsday Machine where Bones refused to take a crazy admiral or a crazy, um, he wasn't admiral, Commodore, off the, off the bridge. But here he's going to let the captain take command when he's clearly not in good condition. I mean, in Bones' defense, it wasn't him. It was Spock. He wanted to get the captain off on Doomsday, but um, Spock was like, True. have you given him an examination? And he was like, <laughs> True. No, True. no. True. And it goes back to the whole, which is very prevalent in Trek Doctors, is the do no harm part of their oath. Like, and I think in Bones' thought process, he's thinking if nothing happens, this patient will die. I can save yeah. him, but it may hurt the captain, but it's the captain will survive. Like I can probably save the captain and save Sarek at the same time. Yeah. And the interesting thing about that, it wasn't the captain's mind that was messed up. Of course, we see that his mind is hitting on all freaking cylinders as he takes For this real. ship out. <laughs> like you a boss, bruh. You a boss. <laughs> um, and isn't it great that nobody questions, like, I, you know, if this would have been TNG or Voyager or something, and they said, shut down the power on the starboard side, somebody would have <laughs> said, well, Captain, this is going to do this, this, and that, this, this, and that. Like, he didn't even have to explain. Like, he, like you Did said, boss mode. He's just yeah. like, on my command, shut down this, done. On my command, shut down this, done. Nobody has to question. Like a boss. <laughs> Dude, man, that, that's when freaking Kirk is at his best. And you see it, you probably see it more in T TOS than any other series, any other captain. The way he logically outsmarts enemies, it it's, it just makes me smile, man. And he, he does a lot with computers and AI and stuff in, in TOS, but he certainly does it in battles, too. And and this was no exception with the playing dead. And they kind of compounded that with the, the uh, is it the leave the or detail, whatever his name is, the Andorian uh, surgical altered Orion guy on the bridge. Where he's kind of doing a play by play with him there. I just think that made it feel even more dramatic. Like, what are you <laughs> doing? Can, can I mention something that freaked me out at the end there? Yeah. 
So like go back and watch this. Maybe maybe I'm just imagining this, but it felt like to me when Kirk was handling business on on in the in the wide shot where it's showing everybody and it's showing the fake Andorian, he looks <laughs> terrified like at what's happening. But when they zoom in on his face, he just has this smirk like, "Ha ha, you're not gonna want. like he." It, yeah. He yeah. looked like he just was like, "You're not gonna, you're not gonna win, Kirk." And then they zoom out, and he looked like he was a dog with his ears tucked down, like just afraid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I can see if they had a little continuity disconnection in there uh, that scene. But ultimately, I do. Even though I think it was dumb for him to be on the bridge, I do think as far as like the scene being dramatic, it made it that much more intense. I mean, I just really, really loved all of that. And again, like we said, Kirk was a boss. Um, but we do see, I think we do see that playing dead thing in other series in the future, I think, at least once. Um, and that's kind of all I have. But I, other than discussing this end sequence, which, you know, I love that TOS always ends with something funny. We need to do that more in other shows. It just leaves you with a happy feeling at the end. Just great television. And again, I mentioned that. Bones kind of breaks the fourth wall by looking directly at the camera and making that comment. Well, what do you know? I finally got the last word. <laughs> so to my DS9 guys out there, what is another instance where the wall is broken in DS9? Oh, that's a good one. I don't remember the name of the episode. It's when Cisco was doing his personal log where they killed the Romulan. Yep. In the uh, pale moonlight. Pale moonlight. There you go. That was pretty good. Yeah. And actually, I'm looking at a wiki entry. There's there's a, more than you'd think where they break the fourth wall. Uh, some that I'm definitely... There's a few more TOS episodes where they do it. Uh, but yeah, just just good stuff, man. I was, I was uplifted after this episode. <laughs> I left with a happy feeling, man. Yeah. A few cool trivia facts or fun facts. Uh, and again, going back, watching Enterprise before this kind of helped me bring these in. Uh, the journey to Babel. So they're going to Babel, which was a inhabited planet uh, on the far side of Andoria. And this planet is, uh, where they, where the Federation holds all of their special conferences and all. And the reason being is this is where the initial conference was held to form the Federation of Planets. Uh, and if you remember on Enterprise, that was the planet that Vulcan and Andoria were fighting over. They had their big war over. And John, Captain Archer had to go down to the planet and mediate that war. Uh, and then after the fact, later in the later part of the series, uh, when the Federation was actually formed, the first three members were Tellarites, Andorians, and humans. And Vulcans, of course. But that's when you see a lot of the Tellarites and a lot of fighting, and they were actually heading to Babel then. So could, Babel's been kind of a turning point, and it's kind of the only neutral ground in Federation space. I'm assuming the biblical reference there is intentional. Yeah, Tower of Babel. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I do get that. Um, maybe less so in the literal, literal sense, though. Um, well, I mean... If you think about it, it makes perfect sense because, you know, the whole thing was they were trying to build a tower to heaven and God said, you know, I don't know how religious people are, but like God was like, if these people are united, they would, they'll be able to do anything. So he, 
made them all speak different languages. So like yeah. that 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 part, yeah. I thought about the United Federation of Planets and how they're doing all this amazing stuff and they're united. So yeah, yeah, awesome. yeah, definitely, definitely a, a good awesome. analogy awesome. there. Yeah, and um, one more fact: uh, Corden, the planet, the species they were trying to bring into the Federation, and maybe this will tie into Discovery at some point. Corden was a dilithium rich planet, which is why everybody was fighting over it. Oh yeah, yeah. So uh that could possibly maybe the be bird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they actually go to Corden and Enterprise as well, I believe. Uh if I remember correctly. Um or the they might not go there, but this mention is mentioned. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's that's good stuff, man. Good stuff. Um and if nothing else. We'll go ahead and wrap this up with ratings. Jeremy, what do you think, man? I'm going to go with a solid four out of five. Awesome sauce. Jonathan? I'm going to go with a five out of five, man. I've really enjoyed this one and probably the best one we've reviewed yet. Oh, wow. Interesting. I don't know if it's my... I do really like it. Uh, Carrie, what do you think, man? Can I go higher than a five? And the only uh, reason I say that is because, like, I think I think it's like a five point one because it's to me it's not only a good TOS episode, it's not only a good Star Trek episode. I feel like this this episode has enough. Like, if you're if you're loosely familiar with Star Trek, which is pretty much what I am, there's enough there to where you can actually follow what's happening. There's not a whole lot of like deep exposition about like you know ad nauseum. Like they say, warp ten. That's probably the most like. Yeah, that's probably the only thing that just like completely went over my head. But it's not just that it's a good Star Trek episode. I think this is just a good episode, period, because of the themes that are present here. The spaceships and the aliens are just the backdrop here to a a story about a father and a son. So that's why I think it's that's why I think it's a five plus. Yeah, totally agreed, man. Cal Jones. I don't think I have anything to say except just go back about 90 seconds and repeat what Kerry just said. And I'll say five plus two because he said it awesome. Yeah. And I agree. I'm right there with you guys. Five all the way from me. Um, The timeless themes of, you know, father son relationship and how they navigate that as, um, you know, the kid grows up and goes on his own path and the respect and admiration there. And just to see them work through their issues and reconnect <laughs> even so much about the scene that by the end they're double teaming on the mob because oh, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. That, <laughs> yeah. was, that, that was the other good part about this episode was like it, at that point you kind of still think they're at odds and, and the wife's like you should thank spock he's like i shouldn't thank spock it's not logical and and, and um he doesn't say this literally but he's almost like they almost kind of have a back and forth they're like you believe this woman he's like well you married her that's what i got from that i thought it was so cool (laughs) i thought it was logical at the time (laughs) (laughs) man to see them reconnect after all of that all these years of not even seeing each other to to come to this point by the end of this episode and you know life and death situation was driving there i guess (laughs) but man so good And, and also for kirk's command he shouldn't even been on the bridge, but he's on there. He might be physically impaired, but his wit is stellar. Sharp. Ooh, so good. Sharp as a tech. So good. And then the shock there where the ship explodes. That was another add a little touch that I smiled at. I'm like, oh, that's cool because you get the little flash on the bridge. and Yes. Uh, that shocked me, but it was 
great touch to the episode, man. They were never coming back from this mission. <laughs> <laughs> it seems I miscalculated. It looks oh. like they did too. <laughs> oh. no, he, he, he was like, oh, I got 10 minutes and I'll be dead. Oops. Oh, I miscalculated. I'm dead now. So did so did they. <laughs> oh man, it's so good, man. I still right. think Kirk is in a galactic James Bond. I still think that because, <laughs> like, when he when he is being a badass, he's like the baddest of badasses. So he's, like, he shows the f out. All right, man. Well, let's let's get what everybody's been working on, podcast related or otherwise. What you're listening to, watching, whatever you are into at this point, and let's start with you, Gal Jones. So I would point everyone to DiscussingNetwork.com. That will take you to all of our shows. Specifically, please check out the reviews that we've done on WandaVision, which was so much fun to do. And if you're a fan of Doctor Who, we just finished up Series 6, and we had a special guest co-host, Shannon Perry, on our most recent episode. So DiscussingNetwork.com. Yeah, guys, Kyle has been showing out all these intros in the last two episodes. Uh, so come for the intros, stay for the conversation, because he, he, he's, he's showing out in the editing booth lately. So thanks, <laughs> definitely, definitely check that out. Yeah, let's let's go to uh, John. What what you been into lately, man? Oh, man, um, not much. A uh, little time I get to watch TV. I have been watching going on a rewatch of Voyager. And the new season of Blacklist, which is an amazing show everybody should watch out on NBC, I think it is. And that's the Spader show? Yep. I didn't realize it was still on. Dang, I got to catch up. You know, for a couple of seasons, it kind of dipped down a little bit, but it's getting better. I'm loving it. Uh, yeah, it's good. I don't want to spoil, do any spoilers. Uh, and the other thing I'm watching, which some people love, some people hate, uh, Snowpiercer oh. on TNT. I Great just started show. that. Great show. I just show. started. And it stars the guy, one of the guys from uh dude who played Thomas Jefferson in Hamilton is the is the main guy. Oh, yeah. I didn't know. I hadn't watched Thomas Jefferson yet. Well no, it's Hamilton. He played Hamilton. He played oh, Thomas bad. Jefferson in Hamilton. Oh, he is not gonna watch Hamilton as musical. Oh yeah, no. I'm not gonna watch musical. I hate musicals sure. too, but it's good. You're Trust doing me. yourself a disservice by not watching Hamilton. Yep. It's like good, seriously. Man. It it's the musical for people who don't like musicals. You should check it out. Carrie you know, you're pins? like the second or third person that's told me that. But <laughs> I'm serious, dude. I hate him. I hate him too. But Hamilton's amazing. Yeah, yeah awesome. I might check it out. But yeah, check out awesome. Snowpiercer on TNT. Very good, Jeremy. What about you, man? So I've been working way too much lately, so I haven't really had a whole lot of time. But I've been watching NCIS like a madman. Like I've just started with season one, episode one, and now I'm like halfway through season five. So. That, that's been kind of my life after work. Awesome sauce. And Carrie, what about you, man? Um, well, you know, um, I don't know if you guys probably, maybe not, didn't catch the last episode of Tech Edition, but we were talking about Paramount Plus. Um, and I was looking for a show on Paramount Plus that I'd seen as a child or as a t- teenager called Martial Law. It was not on there, unfortunately, but fortunately, I found it on Amazon. I bought the entire season set or the series set. It's, it was only two seasons, but it stars Arsenio Hall. Semo Hong, they're basically playing Jackie Chan, Chris Tucker TV version of Rush Hour. Like, and it is awesome, amazing fight scenes. Cause like Sammo Hong is just as capable of a fighter as Jackie Chan, even though he's a little bigger. They did a bunch of movies together in the 80s, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, 
I started watching it again, and it is just as cool as I remember. I was reading the premise for one of the episodes of Clarence earlier. It's the first episode that um, Arsenio Hall appears in. I'm just going to read this, okay? Samo Hong, Samo and the others investigate when an up-and-coming rapper, played by Genuine, is shot by an assassin. They team up with Terrell <laughs> Parker, the rapper's uncle and an LAPD press lieutenant, to uncover a bootlegging operation involving the rapper's ex-manager. <laughs> oh, my God. Such a great Doesn't premise. That just, yeah, like, seriously. It, it's an awesome show. Check it out. I think we're going to be reviewing some of the episodes on Techpedition. So, yeah, check us out. Awesome sauce. That's uh, Discussing Network from Cal, Voyager, Blacklist, and Snowpiercer from Jonathan, uh, NCIS from Jeremy, and Martial Law from Carrie. I'm going to double down on that Snowpiercer from Jonathan. I just started watching it. I'm only like a few episodes in, but I'm freaking loving it, man. It is so good. So freaking good. And I will add to that by saying anybody who has not seen For All Mankind on um, Apple TV, it is so good. This it's alternate reality, um, alternate history show, and this isn't the first episode, so this is not a spoiler. Should I should I not tell him, Kyle? Is this too big of a spoiler if I tell? Him? No, you've you already established it's alternate history, so go for it. Yeah, alternate history, and just think, what if is it Russia? Is Russia yes. made it to the the moon first? And the domino effect, a mm. huge domino effect, but and it's sm- really but, and good. small dominoes that that are cool, small dominoes. Yeah. Are we talking man from High Castle alternate reality? Is is it does it go that far? Uh well I haven't seen uh Man of High Castle. I've only seen like a few episodes of that. But sort of in the same vein. But okay. this one is it's a drama, but you get more of the technology side. You get the if you're in the space, you get to see the birth basically of the space race. But we're coming it from uh all our bravado of, of all we are, are now of being first, we're coming from behind and trying to reestablish ourselves and you know, uh, a certain dominance in the space race. So it's, it's really good. I mean, it takes what it even takes what we did in real life. It takes it so much further and it's so much cooler. But yes. yeah, check it out. Okay, <laughs> We'll do. We'll do. And that's going to be it, guys. Uh, thanks for joining everybody. And um, I really appreciate it. Anybody that sent in fan mail. Of course, I talked to, about uh, Jeff and, of course, Matthew and anybody else that sent things in. You can hit us up on at Discussing Trek on any and all social medias or fans at DiscussingTrek.com. We really appreciate and value your feedback. Um, and we just thank you for being engaged. Always, you can leave us review on whatever podcasting platform you may be listening on. Thanks for joining once again, guys. And until next time, live long and prosper. listening to the discussing trek podcast for more information go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe
climb aboard for adventure. Your traveling companions are fellow fans of Doctor Who. That's right, it's the podcast Discussing Who, exploring the worlds of Doctor Who, past, present, and future. Find out more at DiscussingWho.com. Discussing Network.